Bam, those are the announcements. Thank you, thank you. You guys ready to get into the message now? Let's do it. We are in part one of a series called The Journey. I'm going to start today by reading to you from Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, Jesus says this. You'll see it up on the screen. He said, then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, what must he do? He must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? That's a powerful question. What would it profit if you, if you gained everything but you forfeited your soul to do that? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? And the title of today's message, if you're taking notes, is this. A Greater Concern. The title of today's message is A Greater Concern. For those of you who are close to me, you're friends with me, uh, or maybe you just follow me and you kind of stalk me on social media, but we're not really friends, you might notice that the title of this series and the title of this message go along with a book I just wrote recently called Journey into a Greater Concern. Uh, you can get a copy here today at the coffee shop or you can, a coffee bar area, not the shop. We don't have a full shop, but the coffee bar. Or you can go to Amazon, Journey into a Greater Concern. It's on sale there as well if you would like a copy. But the title of today's message is a greater concern. Here's where the inspiration for this came from. If you know me and you've been following along with us for a while, you will know that I'm a big fan of almost anything involving Jim Carrey. I, I, I love his work. I, I love almost everything that he does. And in November of 2017, Netflix released a documentary called Jim and Andy the Great Beyond. And even for my friends who are very big Jim Carrey fans, they said, that documentary was a bit much for me. Jim Carrey is like off his rocker. I can't handle it. I don't like the documentary. I loved the documentary. I thought it was fantastic. In this documentary, Jim kind of narrates through a period of his life where he was portraying a comedian by the name of Andy Kaufman in the 1999 movie Man on the Moon. Now, some of you are saying, who is Andy Kaufman? And if you don't know who Andy Kaufman is, I'm so sorry that you don't know who he is. Uh, he, he, he died in 1984, but I personally think that he's absolutely hilarious. He was like this absurdist comedian. If you look up his stuff online, you might say, this is not funny at all, Scott. You're not a funny person. I don't know why you think this is funny. But I personally think that it's funny. And in the movie Man on the Moon, Jim Carrey was portraying Andy Kaufman, and he took on this form of method acting where he was just Andy Kaufman all the time. The other actors and the director of the movie, they could not talk to Jim Carrey. They could only talk to Andy Kaufman. He fully embodied that he was Andy Kaufman. And, and when he was narrating the documentary and walking through some of the behind-the-scenes footage from, from the movie, and you see him behaving in this obnoxious way, he's talking about the development of his own personal career as a comedian and in some ways correlating it to Andy's. And he was talking about how at one point in time, when he was developing his stand-up act, he had this epiphany in the middle of the night, and he said, I know what people want, to be free from concern. And when I first heard him say that, I said to myself, wow, that's, that's a brilliant insight. It is what people want, to be free from concern. And to be honest, whenever I watch a Jim Carrey movie, whether it be Ace Ventura, Pet Detective, or The Mask, or Dumb and Dumber, or Liar Liar, and yes, even The Cable Guy, I am brought to a space, even though Rotten Tomatoes doesn't like it, I like it, I am brought to a space where I am free from concern. Comedy has a way of doing that. It can take you out of the weight and the reality of everything going on in your life, and in a moment of laughter, bring you to a space where you are free from concern. 
And concern is an interesting thing. Concern is an interesting type of animal. It's an interesting type of beast because concern is not directly a bad thing. Concern kind of hangs in the balance. Concern exists between worry and purpose. Concern exists between things that we're worried about and things that could be a catalyst for the purpose that we've been called to. Because you could be concerned about something that is very meaningful, that could lead to the purpose that you've been designed for. You could be concerned about maybe something that's happening in your community. And so you decide you want to form a group of people that would work together to address some issues within your community. And so that for that, therefore that is going to push you forward in the purpose that you have been wired and designed for. You could be concerned about some issues that have been happening in your family. And instead of deciding to be a peacekeeper who pretends there's no real issues and just avoids everything, you decide to say, I'm going to be quick to listen and slow to speak, and then I'm going to come into this situation. I'm going to try to work to be a peacemaker because I'm concerned about my family. You could be concerned about things that are happening in your workplace, and instead of being like everybody else and just complaining about HR or complaining about the boss and, and getting down on that level, you could say, you know what? I am going to be a part of creating a better culture in the work environment I'm in because this is a toxic space right now. Concern can push us towards a place of purpose. You could say, hey, I want to start a business because I want to be able to give jobs to people. I want to be able to help other people. I want to be able to mentor people. Whatever it is, that concern can lead to purpose. Concern can be a good thing. But little concerns, these little things that eat away at us, can very easily open up the door as well for worry and for some forms of anxiety as well. Concerns like waking up every day. Did I say the right thing to my boss? Does my boss like me? Does my boss still like me? I'm concerned about this. I want to do, make things right. And that can very easily lead to a place of worry. Concerns like, I'm going to put this photo on social media right now. I wonder how many likes it'll get. I wonder if enough people, if I don't get enough likes, should I take it down and then re-upload it to see if I can get more likes? Concerns, concerns like, does, just little things. Does my dog still like me anymore? Because my dog is not acting the same around me anymore. These are, these are little concerns, but they can lead to a dark place. Concern is an interesting thing. And I was wrestling with this idea. What is a healthy level of concern? And I was thinking about this over a couple of years, and, and then I was reading last year in the book of Genesis, and I got to the story of Jacob. And Genesis 29 verse 1 says this about Jacob. Then Jacob went on his journey. And I began thinking about this idea of concern and looking at the life of Jacob and realizing that every single one of us, we in our lives, we are on a journey. But the journey of our life is either a journey of self-concern or it's a journey of a greater concern. So we have to ask ourselves, is the journey of my life driven by self-concern? Self-concern says that in the journey of my life, I'm just going to look out for me. I'm just going to look out for myself. I'm all about self-preservation. I'm all about just taking care of me, and I don't care what bridges I burn along the way. And you may not even say, I'm going to burn bridges, but you recognize that you do because you're just worried about you. And that can very quickly lead to isolation and worry and different forms of anxiety. Or you might be saying, is the journey of my life, you could ask yourself this question, is it driven by a greater concern? 
because a greater concern will push us to a place where we are laying down our preference, where we are laying down our time, where we are laying down our resources for the sake and for the good of others. And as I was thinking through these two concepts, unfortunately what we find in the early life of Jacob is that he was driven by self-concern. Now we're going to journey through his life a little bit, but this week we're going to focus on how self-concern led him to a dark place. When we get to this spot of Genesis 29, it says Jacob went on his journey. He was on a journey of self-concern. And we know that because Jacob was not running to something, he was running away from something. And what he was running away from was not a circumstance that he was a victim of. It was a bad circumstance that he had created because he was driven by self-concern. He had burned bridges, and he'd caused an explosion in his family that made him say, I have to run. And before he goes on his journey, God actually says something to him. God speaks to Jacob and says this, Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Now, this is interesting. Wouldn't you love this before you go on the journey of life if God spoke to you audibly like he did to Jacob and said, Hey, I will be with you and I will keep you? And I imagine Jacob liked that, but God also says something that I think would have created some anxiety within Jacob's heart. He said, I'm going to bring you back to this land. Because Jacob was doing everything he could to get away from his homeland. Why? Self-concern, self-absorption, and self-preservation led him to a place where he had burned a lot of bridges with his family. And he was journeying away to go to his uncle Laban. So how did Jacob get on this journey of self-concern? And the reason I want us to ask this question and look at this is because I want us to be able to recognize the red flags in our lives of when are we being absorbed by self-concern as well? When are we only looking through the lens of self-preservation as well? Because I don't want us to be that. I want us to be a church. I want us to be a people that is driven by a greater concern. So for us to understand this, we have to go to Jacob's past. We have to go into Jacob's past. In Genesis 25, we read a story about Jacob and his brother Esau. They are adults at this point. They're twin brothers. And Esau is a little bit older than Jacob. He came out first, even though they're twins, but so he was the older one. Which means that Esau was entitled to the birthright and the blessing. He was entitled to the birthright and the blessing. And Esau, what we read, he was a little bit gruff. He was a little bit rough around the edges. He was a hairy guy. He was covered in hair. He liked being outdoors. He liked hunting. Jacob was, Jacob didn't really like being outdoors. He was a little softer. He was a little bit, he was a little bit more of a smart aleck. He was a little bit more of a, hey, I just enjoy being at home and doing my own thing. And he didn't really like being, he wasn't as rough and gruff as, as, as Esau was. And Jacob was his mother's favorite and Esau was his father's favorite. And one day in Genesis 25, Esau had been outside working. It had been a long day, I guess. And he was very, very hungry. And his brother Jacob had been making some stew. And Esau came in, he said, I'm starving, just give me some food. And we don't know if Esau was at a place where he was deathly hungry, like, I can't can't survive, I need to eat right now. We're not sure. Or if he was just being a little hangry, like, give me my food, I've been working all day, just give me something. We're not really sure where he was at in this whole thing. Some people have different thoughts on that. But either way, he comes inside and he's hungry. And Jacob says to Esau, okay, I'll make you a deal. Here's what you do. Give me the birthright. Give me the birthright that is owed to you, and I'll give you a bowl of stew. And for some reason, Esau agrees to this. I I don't know why he didn't try to 
maybe physically fight his brother, like punch him or something and say, hey, no, I'm not doing this. Because from what we can tell, he was physically stronger than his brother. But, but, he, but he said, okay, and he surrenders his birthright, which is two-thirds of the inheritance, just so that he can have a bowl of stew. So there's, there's you know, bad news number one for Jacob right there. He, he's burning a bridge right there and saying, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold this over my brother. And there's a whole, there's a whole lesson in there as well for, from the perspective of Esau. Let's not trade in the temporary for that which is meaningful. We don't have time to get into that today, but that's also a powerful lesson to, to not just trade in something temporary, for, to, to just trade for something temporary when you have something that's meaningful. But, but, but Esau, Esau trades this in. And then a couple chapters later in Genesis 27, Esau still has the blessing. This is from God for him. And, and, and Isaac, their father, is getting old. And he can't see very well. And he knows that his time is coming to a close. And he says, you know what, I'm going to give the blessing to Esau now. He said, Esau, why don't you go out and make me some food and uh, then come back and I'll give you the blessing. And Esau's like, okay, I'm going to go hunting. I'm going to make my dad this fantastic meal. And it's all going to be good. Well, then Jacob's mother overhears this. And she says, Jacob. Here's what you got to do. Here's what you got to do. I'm going to make some food, and you're going to cover yourself in, in hair, and you're going you're gonna to feel like Esau because your father can't see anymore, and you're going to go in, and you're going to steal the blessing. That's what you're going to do. Jacob's like, okay, I can do that. I can go steal the blessing because Jacob cared about Jacob. Jacob dresses up like his, like his brother uh, Esau. He goes to his father Isaac, and at first Isaac's like, you don't sound like Esau. He's like, oh, no, feel my hand. He's like, oh, I guess you're Esau. So then he, he, uh, he steals the blessing from Esau. Esau returns and finds out that the blessing has been stolen from him, and he is irate. He is, he is so angry. It, we think that he may have been angry enough that he wanted to kill his brother. So Jacob's like, I got to get out of here. And his mom's like, yes, you need to get out of here. Go on this journey. Go see your uncle Laban. And this is why Jacob's on a journey. He burned all of these bridges. He stole the birthright. He stole the blessing from his brother. His mother encouraged it. His brother now wants to kill him. His father is, knows that he's coming to the end of his life, and his son is now journeying away. The whole family's falling apart. This is the story of a truly dysfunctional family. Things have gone crazy. So Jacob's on this journey because all he cared about was himself, so now he had to run away from his family. And he's going to see his uncle Laban. And the first person he meets is Laban's daughter, Rachel. And Jacob's got an eye for Rachel. Oh, she's pretty. I want to be with her. I like Rachel. And then Rachel goes and tells her dad, hey, dad. Now, first of all, let's just keep this in mind. This is a different time and different place. So, yes, Rachel was technically his cousin, which I know that today is a little bit weird and strange. But let's just, let's, uh, a long time ago, okay? Different time, different place. So, anyways, Rachel, Rachel tells Laban, hey, I found Jacob. Laban comes to Jacob, and he seems to be very, very excited to see Jacob. So when Laban heard the news of Jacob, his sister's son, this is in Genesis 29, 13. So when he heard the news of Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. Then he related to Laban all these things. So Jacob got to tell Laban his entire side of the story. And then Jacob said to Laban, he said, hey, Laban, not only am I here to hang out, but Rachel, she's pretty cute. I like her a lot. In fact, Laban, I would like to marry her. How do you feel about that? And Laban says, sure. Remember, folks, different time, different place. Laban says, you can marry her, but you have to work for me for seven years. And Jacob's like, well, you know what? I really love this woman. 
So I'm going to work for you for seven years, Laban. Genesis 29, 20 says, so Jacob served seven years for Rachel. And they seemed to him but a few days because of his love for her. What a story of romance. What a story of passion. Seven years of working. I mean, any woman would be like, oh, that's amazing. He would work seven years for me. He's like, I'm going to work seven years because I love her so much. And he works for seven years. When you do this part of the story, you start to think, oh, maybe Jacob could be a nice guy, even though he was that jerk who stole everything from his brother and completely left his family in shambles. You're like, oh, maybe he's not so bad after all. Well, Jacob works for seven years, all right. And the night comes, once again, before I tell you this part of the story, different time, different place, different expectations, different culture, different setting. So some things are about to sound very, very, very strange. So Jacob goes into a tent. It's late at night, I guess, or or at nighttime at least. I would hope at least it's nighttime based off of what happens next. Um, Jacob has been working for seven years, so let's just say it this way. He's really into Rachel, and he's ready to make things happen. In other words, he's ready to get down to business, folks. He's ready to get it on. And so she comes into the tent. This is the moment he's been waiting for, seven years. She loves him. He loves her. It's a beautiful love story. But then Jacob wakes up the next morning, and he realized that he did get down to business, but it was not with Rachel. And he's like, what just happened? Who is this? It was Rachel's older sister, Leah. He's like, you have got to be kidding me right now. I just did what with the wrong woman, and now I'm married to her? He was, he was not happy. So he goes to Laban. Different time, different place. Says, hey, what happened here, bro? Because uh, I'm supposed to be with Rachel. And Laban said, well, you know, it's only customary. I can't let my older daughter Leah, I can't allow her to get married before Rachel. She's the younger. I can't allow Rachel to get married before Leah. I can't allow that to happen. Rachel's the younger one. The older one must be married first. So then Jacob, of course, he does what any reasonable person would do and says, well, I want to have two wives then. And so, uh, so then he agrees to work for Laban for another seven years. And at the end of 14 years of work, he now has the blessing of two wives, Rachel and Leah both. And then he works for Laban for another six years before he leaves. He works for Laban for 20 years. But wait, I thought this was the guy who in Genesis 28, God said, hey, I will be with you. Why was he then living under somebody else's control for 20 years? And it's simple. Jacob set himself up. Jacob set himself up. Now, this is not karma. I don't subscribe to that. But what he did, it, was, it has to do with his perspective of the world. It has to do with his perspective of other people. Jacob was a manipulator. He was constantly manipulating situations within his family for his own personal gain. And then he met Laban, and Laban is just better at the game than Jacob is. And manipulators will inevitably be manipulated. It will happen time and time again. Now, let me pause here for just a moment, because some of you have been victims of manipulation and victims of abusive manipulation. There are other circumstances where there are times in life when you can't do anything about that. You were born into a situation, you were a victim of a bad circumstance, whatever that looks like. We're actually going to be talking that in week four in this series called, it's called, this 
title of that message is called When the Journey Chooses You. So we're not talking about that when you're a victim of abusive manipulation. What we're talking about is a pattern of life that a number of people end up in at times, and you wonder, why do I continue to be controlled by this person or this group of people that I don't want to be controlled by? And it's because you, the way of the way you see the world. You're just worried about yourself. And when Jacob was only worried about himself, he didn't see Laban coming. And this is what will happen when you're absorbed in self-preservation and self-concern. You won't see Laban coming. You're living such a short-sighted life that you're only concerned about you. And so then someone or something else will come along that's better at the game than you. And they will take control of you because they can see your short-sighted perspective. Self-concern will lead you to being controlled by people and situations that you do not want to be controlled by. Self-concern will lead you to being controlled by people and situations that you do not want to be controlled by. And unfortunately, as people, we oftentimes encourage self-concern. We encourage self-preservation. Well, I wouldn't say anything if I were you. I wouldn't do that if I were you. You know, you pr- it's, better, it's best if you just keep your mouth shut and don't say anything. You don't want to face the consequences. We encourage self-preservation. We encourage self-concern. But we shouldn't. We should be willing to be at a space where we are fighting for the good of others and fighting for what's right and speaking up for others no matter the consequence. That's who we've been called to be. And that's what Jesus is getting at in the passage that we started with. There is an alternative to self-concern. And it's to journey in your life in such a way that you are living in the reality of a greater concern. I'll return to Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 16. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must do what? Deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Not just look out for himself, not gain his own possessions, not just build up his own platform, but actually deny himself and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. If you're just worried about me, 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 self-preservation, you will lose it. That's what Jacob was worried about, and he lost his family for a period of time in his life. But whoever loses his life for my sake, if you will lay down your life for the good of others, for the cause of the gospel, for the cause of Christ, that's where you will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? What will a man give in exchange for his soul? Self-concern and self-preservation, it's never worth it. It's a lie. And I I hear so many people talk, I want to have a life. I need to get a life. I want to have a life. If you want to have life, the best way is to lose your life. Life is found when life is lost. Denial of self leads to the true discovery of life that you've been created and designed to live in. Amen. This is what Christ leads us to. To, to lay down our preferences for the sake of others. To lay, down, to lay down whatever it is that we're holding on to for the good of others. What is that for you? What is the birthright and the blessing that you've been pursuing? It's such a, it's such a drive, it's such a cost that you've been burning bridges. That you've been hurting other people. Because you've said, I'm going to worry about me and getting mine and I don't care who I burn along the way. That's, that's a self-concern. That's, that's the lie of the enemy, the enemy who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Self-concern will lead to a destroyed life. 
That's why Jesus said this in John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this, that one laid down his life for his friends. The greatest expression of love is to live in a greater concern. That's what Christ did. He was constantly living in a greater concern. Imagine if Jesus would have been driven by self-concern and self-preservation. You know what, hey, I got a really good following right now. I fed 5,000 people with a few loaves and a couple of fish. People seem to generally like me. That whole cross thing sounds a little painful. So you know what? I'm not going to deal with that right now. Yeah, it's going to be good for a lot of people. It'll offer eternal life. It'll help people out. But you know what? I'm more worried about me and building up my own platform. And I don't really want to push against the grain of society any longer. I'm just going to worry about me. Self-concern and self-preservation is antithetical to the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus says other people might be, not all the time, but they might be moving this way. I'm going to do something. I'm going to say something. I'm going to be a part of fighting for the good of others, even if other people think I'm crazy, even if other people misunderstand me. Because the greatest act of love is to lay down our comfort, to lay down our preference for the sake of others, for our friends. And what I love about Jesus is he not only taught that, but he lived that out. He went and laid down his life for the good of others, for you and for me. He looked at those disciples and said, greater love has no one than he who lays down his life for his friends. And he said, you are my friends. He looked at a ragtag group of guys. They were, you know, uh, fishermen. They were uh, 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 tax collectors. They were the lowlifes. They were the nobodies. And he said, hey, you are my friends. And I'm going to lay down my life for you. This is, because what happens is, is finite, limited, self-concerned reasoning says this. Get the birthright. Get the blessing. It doesn't matter. Get what you need to get. Take care of you. Take care of me. That's what self-concerned thinking says. And that seems to be what's most reasonable. But as we were singing about revival earlier, I'm calling us to be a church that, that experiences a revival of the soul that exists beyond finite reasoning. To have a revival that leads us into an eternal reasoning. To say that I will, I will live in a greater concern. I have a vision that New Story Church will be a church where we lay down our preferences for the sake of others. That we will speak up for others because that's what Christ did for us. This is where we will truly find life. And it's, it's tough because when you decide to live this life, and here's, here, here's the encouragement, I believe you can live this life. I believe God has created you and designed you and intends for you to live this life in a greater concern. And that by the power of his spirit, he can lead you into this type of life. I'm not, I'm not trying to make you feel bad if you have lived in self-concern. I'm trying to raise awareness so that you can live in what you've been intended for. So that I can live in what I've been intended for. This is a great, liberating, freeing type of life where we can free others as well. And I was, I was, uh, I was at a pastor's training recently. And one, one of the talks, that one of the pastors, he said, because when we, when we get into self-concern, I'll get back to the pastor in just a minute. I've got to explain this. I was like, I've got to explain this first. But anyways, when, when we get into self-concern, and the reason we don't live in a greater concern is we get concerned about our own reputation. If I say something, what will people think of me? If I do something, what will they say? That's going against the grain. 
I don't know if I can do that. I don't want to risk it. Because you could be risking a lot. I mean, if, if you're someone and you know somebody's doing something ethically wrong in the workplace and you know it's wrong and you need to speak up about it, you could be risking a paycheck. I mean, that's pretty serious. But if you feel like God's saying you need to say something, that's, that's a tough tension to live in. And it's easy to think, man, I don't know if I want to say something because people might try to shut me up or put me down or whatever that looks like. Living in a greater concern can come at a great cost. That's why Jesus says to pick up your cross. And it could feel for a momentary time or even for a length of time that you're risking your reputation. I was at this pastor's training. The pastor, he was talking about this past year, how it was difficult for him in many ways. And he was concerned about, he was talking to other pastors who were concerned about their reputation, how they were responding to everything over this past year that's happened. And he said, I just looked at them all and I said this, I trust Jesus with my sin. Why would I not trust him with my reputation? Why would I not trust him with my reputation? And as I said last week when I was closing the service here at New Story, Jesus wants to be and desires to be associated with you. He delights in you and he will take care of you. And you are in his hand and you will not be snatched out of it. And his Holy Spirit wants to lead all of us into the journey into a greater concern. I want you to journey into a greater concern that we would be a church we would be a people that would choose to exist beyond ourselves and to work for the good of others. Imagine what our community, imagine what our cities, imagine what our world would look like if we as the church stepped up and said, we are going to live in the way of Jesus and say, I'm laying down time, preference, money, resources for the good of others, no matter the consequences, to work for the good of others. Let's journey together into a greater concern. I have two application questions to close with. The band can come up and start getting ready. I have two application questions. These are things for you to pray about and talk to God about. But when you think about the journey of your life, ask yourself this. Am I setting myself up to work for the good of others? Am I setting myself up to work for the good of others? Am I allowing the Spirit of God to lead me into a greater concern? to live beyond myself and do what I've been called and intended to do, even when it's scary, even when it is beyond reason, I want to experience that revival of the soul that exists beyond reason. Or am I setting myself up to be controlled by others? Am I setting myself up to be controlled by others? Because that's what self-concern and self-preservation will lead to. A place where you wake up one day and say, how did I end up here? Why, why am I under this person's thumb? Why, why, why am I working for Laban for 20 years? Because that's where self-concern will lead. And that's something to pray about. And allow the Spirit of God to speak into your life in such a powerful way that you allow him to push you into the greater concern that you were intended to live in. Beyond reason. For his glory. And for his kingdom work. Let's all journey together into a greater concern. If you would, please bow your heads and join me in prayer in this moment. Jesus, I thank you that you've called us to something higher. You've called us to something greater. And when people around us might be saying, just look out for you, just look out for you, just take care of yourself, we can say, yeah, we want to be reasonable with that, but we also want to work for the good of others. To do like you did, 
and to lay down your life, to lay down our lives for the good of others. May we lose our lives in you, Jesus, become so wrapped up in you that we live into the reality that you have for us. Speak into our lives. Lead us to a place where we live for the good of others, just as you did for us. In your name I pray.